This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our readings today are two of the strongest biblical statements that we have regarding justice and the responsibility of the rich toward the poor. The first one is taken from the remarkable book of the prophet Amos. Not perhaps one of the better known prophets, not like Isaiah or Jeremiah, but Amos has long been a favorite among those who work for justice. In fact, Martin Luther King often cited the prophet Amos in his speeches, and we can see why. Just a cursory glance at anything that Amos wrote, you can see why people passionate for justice loved him. Listen to this quote now from the first reading. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Woe to the complacent in Zion, lying upon beds of ivory, stretched comfortably on their couches. They eat lambs taken from the flock and calves from the stall while the poor languish. Something I find really fascinating. If you read the texts of Aristotle and Plato and Cicero, these great classical figures, they talked a lot about justice and ethics and right behavior. But you find nothing like that passage in any of those figures. Somehow it was the gift of these Hebrew prophets to give us this keen sense of God's passionate desire to set right social injustice. The indignant voice of those who advocate the poor, that's something that comes up to us from this great biblical tradition. You know, in some ways, it's no accident that the chosen people, the people that bore divine revelation, were not the Greeks and the Romans and the Babylonians. They weren't the world beaters and the empire builders, but they were precisely this rather oppressed, marginalized people. Because out of their suffering came this keen sense of God's justice and care for the poor. Now, the overtones of Amos can be heard clearly in the gospel. Our gospel for today is one of the best known and probably most troubling of Jesus' parables, the parable of Dives and Lazarus. Of course, Dives just means rich man in Latin, so we've given him that name. He's not really named in the story itself. But we all know it well. Here's a quote from it. There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen. That, of course, is the first century way of saying, here's someone dressed in a fine Armani suit. And he dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. There are the tones of Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah, the tones of the great Hebrew prophets. 
Jesus sets this up with his usual narrative verve and flair, this self-indulgent, complacent, rich man. And right at his gate is poor, suffering Lazarus, and the rich man is utterly unaware even of his presence. As in Amos, so in Jesus. This injustice cries out to God for vengeance. And then we hear about the divine redress in the rest of the story. Both men die. Lazarus is taken up to the bosom of Abraham. Dives, the rich man, well, he's in hell. And a great abyss separates the two of them. God is not pleased with this kind of economic inequality. And he burns with a passion to set things right. Now, Christians, this theme came roaring up out of the Bible into the Christian tradition. And it echoes up and down the centuries. And even though it makes us uncomfortable, and God knows it does, whenever we hear these themes, especially those of us, let's face it, who live in the most affluent society in the world, these are deeply troubling themes to us. But we can't avoid them because they're everywhere. Among the church fathers, you'll find some of the strongest condemnations of economic injustice. And of the fathers, by far the feistiest on this theme is the great John Chrysostom, a 4th century bishop of Constantinople. Can I read you something from one of his sermons? He was the best-known preacher of the time. Those who love money are fierce in the pursuit of it, like wild animals pursuing their prey. They do not allow the ties of friendship to restrain them. They betray, cheat, or exploit their closest friends when there is gold and silver to be gained. Nor do they let the chains of conscience inhibit them. They learn to make their conscience as numb as fingers on a cold day. Even members of their own families may be used in their quest of wealth. Their eyes become blind to the suffering they cause, and their ears deaf to the cries of those whose lives are ruined by them. Those are strong words. And they shook the people of the time who heard them. John Chrysostom was not very popular. And they shake us today. But can you hear he's speaking in the tones of Amos and of Jesus? What's the ground of all this for John Chrysostom? Why does he say it? He's very clear. Because everything we have, our bodies, our life, our breath, our minds, our accomplishment, and yes, our wealth, everything we have is a sheer gift given to us by a generous God, and therefore it ought never to be hoarded for our own purposes, but rather always used for God's purposes. That's why he's so fierce in his condemnation of the complacent rich. Here's something from St. Ambrose. Lived around the same time as Chrysostom. He was the bishop of Milan. Ambrose said, If you have two shirts in your closet... One belongs to you. The other belongs to the man who has no shirt. You have two pairs of shoes in your closet. One belongs to you. The other to the man who has no shoes. Same idea. Strongly stated. 
We are in no position to hoard for ourselves the goods of the world without a sense of the common good, without a sense of Lazarus at the gate, the poor man who does not have enough. Now here's Thomas Aquinas writing several centuries later and in his more sober style. Thomas says, we must distinguish between ownership and use of private property. What does he mean? Well, we have a right to ownership through our hard work, through our inheritance. We own certain things. Fair enough. But with regard to the use of those things, how we use them, why we use them, how we appropriate them, then, says Thomas, we must always be concerned first for the common good and not our own. Now, Christians, I would say that's an extraordinarily powerful claim, though it's stated in rather sober language. Yes, you have a right to property, to ownership, but, but when and how you use what you own, that is always a matter of the common good, which includes especially Lazarus at your gate, whoever it is who is suffering and in need. These same themes can be found all over the social teaching of the church. And by this I mean that wonderful series of encyclical letters written by the popes of the last roughly 100 years, including and especially John Paul II. Here's something, though, from the founder of this tradition, Pope Leo XIII, in his letter, Rerum Novarum. Pope says this, Once the demands of necessity and propriety have been met, everything else we own belongs to the poor. Let me say that again. It's an extraordinary line. Once the demands of necessity and propriety are met, everything else we own belongs to the poor. What if we allowed that principle to determine our economic lives? That I've got what I need and to live a life of, of propriety. But after that, everything I own is not mine, but is now for the sake of the common good. We finally find these themes in our current pope. John Paul II has said some of the strongest things about economic injustice. We all know in the West his great criticisms of Marxism. And you know, he was so right in criticizing Marxism. He himself suffered under it. What was the trouble with Marxism? It was an attempt to coerce through violence justice. Marx was very good at noticing economic injustice. He was very good at seeing it. But the trouble was he advocated a coercive and violent amelioration of the problem. And the Pope was so clear, he saw it so profoundly, that that just creates more injustice. So, of course, that's not the answer. However, and this is the side of the Pope's teaching that it's harder for us in the West to hear. He was almost as critical of the abuses and excesses of our capitalist economy. Our tolerance of gross economic inequality, the rape of the environment, consumerism, and what the Pope called our practical atheism. What he meant was, in the East, there's an officially sanctioned, at least there was, an officially sanctioned atheism. In the West, where churches flourish, there is nevertheless, he said, a kind of practical atheism. 
meaning we worship, we put at the center of our lives material things. From Amos through Jesus up to the church fathers into Thomas Aquinas into the modern popes, over and over again we hear this call to attend to Lazarus at the gate. So, what do we do concretely? Every year we hear these texts and we feel a little bit guilty about them and then we get over it. So what should we do practically? Let me just say two very simple things. First of all, I would address those who are hearing me who work in the area of economics. I mean bankers and investors and financiers, those who attend to the economy. When you make your decisions every day, make sure that you have in your mind's eye Lazarus at the gate, the poor of the world. It might mean even putting a photograph of someone from a third world country or from the inner city on your computer. Maybe put on your computer screen the corporal works of mercy. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked. Let the poor always have a role in the decisions that you make. And now let me address really the rest of us, not controlling the economy in any serious way, but in our ordinary economic decisions. What are some things that we can do? Something I've recommended for a long time, put a poor box by your door. And then every time you leave, put something in it. It could be a nickel, it could be a quarter, it could be $10, whatever. But every time you leave the house, you think of the poor. You put something in the box. Set an extra plate at the table every night at your family dinner. And explain to your family, that's for someone in the world who does not have enough food tonight. And then take the money you would have spent to prepare that meal and put that in the poor box. Make a regular visit to a soup kitchen. Let your kids see the importance of giving drink to the thirsty and food to the hungry. How about this? Rid yourselves of a luxury every year. As we look around our homes and we look at our lives, we can all find luxuries that we really don't need. Every year, rid yourself of one of them. Friends, like it or not, Lazarus is at the gate, and we are called by God to care for him. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of the word on fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.